Welcome to Imran's podcast, episode number 43. This is your host, Suman Silwal. Um, my word of advice would be, don't be afraid to go off the pavement and give it a shot. Visit imrans.com to listen to our previous podcast shows, links to our social media channels, and more. I'd like to welcome Megan Hicks, senior editor of uh, I Run Far. Megan, how are you doing today? Good, Suman. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, how's the weather out, out west for you? Uh, well, they, they're saying that we're having, a, um, what is it, a La Nina winter, but here in Moab, Utah, we've seen about a normal amount of precipitation. I'm still waiting for my winter snows here. I think we got a one inch of snow last weekend, and that's all we can take <laughs> here in South. So. <laughs> Talking about Utah, you live in such a beautiful area. Tell us about what kind of trails you got out there. Sure. I think Utah is one of the western U.S.'s most spectacular states uh, because of its diversity. We have big mountain ranges with mountains that go up to 13,000 feet, and we have these gigantic red slick rock deserts um, that extend over huge portions of southern Utah. I live where those two different types of terrains merge outside of Moab, Utah. So below me, I've got that red slick rock desert. And above me, I have the LaSalle Mountains, which range up to 12,700 feet. Uh, so out my, out my cabin door where I live, I can uh, run single track that sort of winds through desert terrain, or I can make a 6,000-foot climb straight from my door. Wow, that's a dream for a lot of us. So It is truly a dream. Every day I wake up here, I, I count myself really lucky. <laughs> tell us, uh, as we talk about running, tell us how you got into running. You were, were you a runner, lifetime runner, or, or you just picked up running? I started running uh, the year before I went to high school. My uh, best friend at the time and I decided that we wanted to join the high school track team. And we thought we better start training and learning how to run if we wanted to be on a team. So she and I sort of uh, got on the running bandwagon together. Um, and that, that, started, that started my journey. I ran competitively in high school for fun, mostly in college. I competed on my uh, Division three tennis team in college and then did sort of the, the normal progression for college athletes uh, in terms of trying road running after college. And then in 2006, I believe it was, ran my first uh, ultra marathon and have sort of been spending my time uh, trail running and trending definitely towards the longer things since then. So what uh, did it make you to go trails? Was it a specific reason or you just loved the trails? Um, I grew up uh, spending a lot of time in the outdoors. I grew up mostly in Minnesota in one of the northern suburbs of the Twin Cities, right at the edge of where suburbs turn to farmlands and wildlands in Minnesota. And our family spent a lot of time um, going up to cabins, fishing, recreating on the, on the lakes there that are so famous in Minnesota. Um, so when I went out into the world as an adult, I had in me a pretty ingrained sense of wanting to live my life in the outdoors. I started working. My first job out of college was as an intern at Big Bend National Park in West Texas. And I really enlivened my love of the outdoors there. And then I would, um, I did a lot of hiking and a lot of backpacking as you would be wont to do living inside of a national park. But I didn't know that the sport of trail running existed. And so I would run on the roads of Big Bend, uh, which is actually kind of funny looking back at it now, given that that park has 400 some odd miles of, of single track trails and 
hundreds of miles of dirt roads that I could have been exploring. But I met a girl when I was working in Big Bend after being there for quite some time who was a trail runner. And she uh, showed me that you can do road running on the trails. And I think kind of the rest was history. Like if I have to be honest, being able to combine all my loves, you know, being in wild places, running, uh, just feeling feeling immersed in, in, in a place that's wild. I think the rest was history. Trail running was my deal. Definitely sounds like a very fun journey. And uh, just to uh, discover the trail was really interesting for you because in, since then, I think you have not looked back, correct? Um, so I don't mind running on pavement. I probably run, I don't know, I'd say maybe a fifth of my uh, yearly miles on pavement. But um, usually it's so I can run out my door to run to some trail nearby or, you know, starting a run at my friend's house and we run a couple of miles of pavement to get to the trails. Um, so I don't mind being on pavement at all. I don't uh, focus my training on it, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a way to get toward the trails, I'd say. Definitely. Uh, tell us about how did you get involved with uh, I Run Far? Oh, so I Run Far is the work of my partner in life, Brian Powell. Uh, it began as his personal website in 2006, um, where he, as many people a decade ago, were doing their personal blogging online so you could interact with your friends before things like Strava and Moose Count and other social ways of interacting about running uh, exist. And so he was personally blogging. He kind of converted it to a more professional website uh, in the years that followed that. And then in 2009, he took I Run Far as his full-time professional venture, um, trying to make a go of uh, an online trail running and ultra running news website. I met Brian in 2008. We both ran the same race in Colorado called the Trans Rockies Run. And we met each other, became very quickly friends, and then started dating a few months later. And so I Run Far became very quickly uh, on my horizon as sort of a personal passion project. I thought what he was doing was really cool. It didn't exist. Nothing else like it existed at the time. And then, of course, you know, I, I care about him a lot. So I, I cared about trying to support his passion project. So I started helping him as best as I could. And then uh, in the beginning of 2013, the website had grown so much that he needed a, a full-time employee. And that was me. That's an interesting journey. Tell us about your journey with Aaron Farr. What places have you traveled running around the world? I know that you have traveled extensively. Uh, tell us some of the some of the journey that that you have done and some of your memory. Yeah, so one of the main current features of Iron Far is that we cover races live all around the world. Uh, we wait to see which races become the most globally competitive, and then we try to cover them um, live time, like telling the competitive story of how the races unfold from start to finish. And so that, yeah. That's taken us all over the world right now. So, for example, in 2016, I'll probably miss a country or two, but that brought me to Morocco, Spain, Italy, France, Switzerland, Andorra. Uh, where else did I go? All over the West uh, in the United States, California, Colorado. It's been a really fun journey. Basically, the we just uh, mark 
the globally competitive athletes. And when they collect together in a, in a big field, we go cover their race. That sounds like a fun journey. As you go on these events, do you run those events as well or you just travel to those events? That's a great question. So the races that we cover globally, Brian and I, and uh, a small but able group of volunteers uh, stand on the sidelines of the race and cover it from when the gun goes off to when the top runners cross the finish line. So when we're covering those races, we don't participate in them. We're madly driving from location to location and then running into remote spots to be able to report on the passage of the leaders. I do get to uh, compete and participate in my own races. I think I ran three or four races in 2016, for example. Obviously, I'm in the sport because I, I love the sport. And so, yeah, part of it is is getting to participate in my own races. But it's never the most globally competitive races. Those are the ones I'm working at. And as you cover the world one mile at a time through through either covering the event or running itself. Tell us about your experience seeing the world use the running as your vehicle to cover this globe. Well, I, there's a lot of countries I haven't been to, and there are running communities that I'm yet to meet. And um, that's part of what drives me to uh, keep going and to keep, um, you know, working so hard in telling the stories of the trail running community, because there are there are endless stories out there and endless, really interesting people. Um, so I think there are an infinite number of lenses through which you can look at our world and experience our world. And and running, specifically trail running, is uh, one of those lenses, one of those filters. It's a way to connect you to people, uh, connect you to people that you would never meet otherwise, and connect you in a fairly intimate and close way. Being able to go to a race and experience a culture, experience a landscape over the course of 5, 10, 20, 40 hours, it's a very intimate encounter. And so I really like that lens. I like I like that it gives you a way to to get close to a new place and to a new group of people so quickly. Definitely. It is fascinating for me to just listen to you talk about covering the world. I mean, I love to travel myself, but I have not able to cover as much as I think you have done. Tell us about some of the places and interesting things you have seen, one or two that uh, some of us will resonate and kind of want to go there. Well, I think, um, you know, there are a few races in the United States that um, sort of rise to the top in terms of their the communities that they create or the history um, that they contain within them. In my opinion, one of the best communities in the United States is the community that surrounds the Hard Rock 100 uh, in southwestern Colorado. Uh, the race director and the board of directors for that race have worked intentionally over a couple of decades to, to foster a really close-knit community that develops deep passion for the, the mountains that you run through at that race. And I think that that community and that vision that the leaders of that race have is something that would be a, a useful way for other, uh, you know, or organizational types around the world to apply to their own world um, in terms of developing community and developing a, a love for the places through which we through which we run. So the Hard Rock 100 is it's a race that not a lot of people are going to be able to run because of its um, extreme difficulty. But it's a it's a very special race to be a part of as a volunteer or to come to the sidelines and watch. It's one of those things I'd recommend for any passionate trail runner. 
Um, I ran a race for the first time last year in Morocco called the Trans Atlas Marathon. It's a multi-day stage race that takes place in the Atlas Mountains, and the race director is Mohamed Ahansal. He's an icon in the Moroccan uh, ultra-running community. He's a five-time winner of the very famous Marathon de Saab stage race. And he, now he's a, though he's passed like his competitive prime, he's a, he's a strong advocate for building up Moroccan trail runners and bringing them into the competitive global race scene. And he's also very passionate about getting people like me to come to his country and experience his landscapes. And so the Trans Atlas Marathon is an incredible emergence of that. He gives free entry to developing trail runners to his race. And then he encourages people like me to come and experience his land and, and meet those runners. I think what Mohammed Ahansal is doing with Trans Atlas Marathon is a, is a pretty incredible thing. Sounds like a great two races that you pointed out. How can a, a local race here in Birmingham and South can make a, a, a race that can people can come from far away like you go or you, you can come from far away? Is there a... Is there a trick to it or some of the things like you, <laughs> some of the things like you mentioned about hard rock, how the whole community involved? Is it a something something needs to make it great? Because, you know, a lot of time I go to trail races, it's very small and and there's not a lot of participant. You know, it's trail running is not as big and south as as other places, but it's it's growing here. I know that for sure. I'm part of a lot of a lot of those events. But I just wanted to see, you know, for your perspective, how how can a can a race be, you know, known? and far beyond our Southeast region? <laughs> I think that's a really good question. Um, so the reasons why people trail run and ultra run are really diverse. So what brings me to a race might not necessarily what, what brings other people. Um, but for me, I'm attracted to experiencing new environments and, and learning about the environments through which we run. Um, and more than that, I'm interested in the people um, that I get to meet along the way. And so if you were to look back through all of the races that I've run, you know, even on the roads, on the trails throughout you know, the 20 years or so that I've been doing uh, running, I've run some really obscure races in random, seemingly random locations. But I generally choose my races with intention because of what I'm going to get to learn in terms of people or in terms of landscape. So for instance, in uh, 2007, I believe, I'd have to confirm that by looking at my own results, I ran the uh, Rocky Raccoon 100 mile in East Texas because I had read um, in Ultra Running Magazine about this East and Central Texas running community and I'd seen pictures of these people and I'd seen photos of um, the people gathered around the Rocky Raccoon race. And I, I really wanted to experience it for myself. Um, so I went there. Uh, one year I ran the Burning River 100 mile uh, in Ohio. And I, I went there also for the people because I, I had learned online about uh, a group of fierce and exciting trail runners in Ohio, and I wanted to see what those people were all about. <laughs> <laughs> you need to come to Alabama. We, we, we do have a lot of passionate trail runners now. So Pinhody and, uh, and the new one is Lake Martin. So those hundreds. just want to mention that to you. Pinhody is 
And I think we're going to run 10th year next year. So I think of Alabama as definitely on my hit list. Uh, you should come next year. <laughs> <laughs> and then we can do face-to-face interview. <laughs> there you go. As you run uh, this this races, you have a lot of memories. Is, is there a situation that uh, you've been, I'm sure, uh, that... Um, that you said, I don't want to go there anymore because of a certain way things were done. Uh, is there a situation? You don't want to mention the race. That's fine. But it's kind of situation. Can you tell us what we should look at in a situation when we go distance races or destination places? That's a great question and also kind of a difficult one. I would prefer not to, to single out certain groups or specific events, but... Um, You know, in my mind, a trail race must provide a safe experience for its participants. Um, it must provide, like if it says, we're going to provide these aid stations and these course markings in this way, then um, in order to, you know, to create a, an experience for runners, a race has to fulfill its mission of doing what it says it's going to do. Um, and a race in my mind has to function in a, in a sustainable way. If it's having a negative impact on the environment through which it's running, um, there's really, it, the race shouldn't exist. Um, why would you want to create an event that has a negative impact on natural spaces? Our goal is to, to protect and preserve these places so that trail runners like us can be running on them 20 years from now. Um, so, sustain you know environmental and social sustainability and um, safety and doing what you say that you're going to do what you're going to providing what you you say you're going to provide runners um, those are those are some of the basic the basic keys to good safe races definitely um, sometimes race advertise one way and then and then they're going to give uh, give out this and give out that and they end up not doing it so i've seen in those situations like you what you said but most of the trail races are low key uh, low key races but but if they want to grow beyond whatever they they're doing i guess and some for some of the cases do they need to also provide more or just just having a race is not enough correct is that is that how you look at it if you go to other races or or do they need to provide more than race um well i think it really depends on the circumstance so for instance the the hard rock 100 race which i was talking about a few minutes ago in colorado they explain in their course guide the way that they are going to mark the trail And uh, the Hard Rock 100 course isn't as well marked as other trail races out there. Um, there's an expected knowledge of the landscape and where you need to move in it during the race. So um, that race is sort of, well, they call themselves like a, a graduate level trail race. And so their <laughs> course markings reflect that. And I think that's totally fine. That's what, you know, that's the kind of race that they want to be. That's the expectation that they set up. And then that's what they reasonably provide during the race. Other races out there, for instance, say that they, you know, if you're standing at one course marker, they say that you're always going to be able to see the next course marker. And so if you say that on your website, you need to provide that. If there's a circumstance out there where a trail runner can't see where they're going to go next and they've been told that they're going to be able to, then you're not providing what you you say you're going to provide. So I think every circumstance, every circumstance is unique to uh, the group of runners that you're trying to cater to, to the environment that you're running to through and to the regulations of the local land managers. They all have stipulations that race directors need to uh, fulfill in order to hold races on public land. So that that's one of the variables there too. Just, uh, you know, do it, 
do what you say you're going to do, uh, provide the service that you tell runners you're going to provide and um, do so in a, in a socially and environmentally sustainable way. Definitely, yeah. I think those are excellent questions. Um, our sport is growing really quickly. And one of the questions that I find myself asking myself a lot is just because we as a community can do something, should we? Um, and, you know, as we go forth into our future, we need to, we need to be, uh, in my mind, we need to be advocating carefully for the sustainable growth of our community. So I think um, asking those types of analytical questions and, um, and intentionally growing and in intentionally providing experiences is, is a really important thing for our trail running community. Let me uh, switch a little bit uh, question. As a runner, I'm, I do both road and trail. I have covered uh, many areas, but most of my distance races are within the southeast, and really just in south. Um, I do road marathons beyond south. But uh, I, tell me about what does it take me, uh, if you have to tell me, that to go out and explore the world. I know it's, it costs money as well as uh, there are things that I need to do to prepare myself to go beyond the southeast border or the border that I'm comfortable with. Um, so basically, you mean what is it? What does it take logistically, physically, emotionally to to take your racing beyond your your sort of regional community? Uh, yeah, definitely, and also wherever I'm comfortable at this time. For me personally, it's southeast. Maybe whoever somebody's listening from from wherever Colorado, maybe or yeah, yeah you, you know what I mean. Uh, Everybody's comfortable in their own little little bubble, I guess. And part of your thing is you're running far and far exotic places and distance races and all. I have not run any anything beyond um, beyond uh, 50k or 50 mile or uh, close to around around that uh, miles uh, in this reason. Uh, I stay within because I don't know you know, how I'm going to feel, you know, and all these things. <laughs> and so I would love to go out, but uh, but I would like to see how to cover the world like what you have done at one mile at a time and go far. I love this question. This is an awesome question. Thanks for asking it. <laughs> I think the, the main emotional response that I have in listening to your question that I've learned throughout the years is that while the global trail running community is different from region to region, um, we're all still we share so many common characteristics. So, uh, you know, for instance, if you decided to go do a race in Asia or in Europe, you would, of course, encounter a language barrier and you would be exposed to an array of new social standards and things you're supposed to figure out. But you will quickly learn that what makes you a trail runner is is very similar to what makes um, other people around the world trail runners. And so there's so many more things that you have in common with a trail runner abroad. And even if you can't speak their language, you have that, you have that commonality. But I guess in terms of the logistics and the physicality of leaving your home terrain and going out to experience something else, I would say that um, the best experiences are those in which you don't add too many new variables. If you go out into a and do a race on the type of terrain in the, a totally new to you type of terrain in a totally new type of climate in a totally new time zone. If you if you factor in a million trillion variables, your chances of success go down. But say you go to a race in a in a in the same time zone, or maybe 
you know, only two time zones away. If you, you know, maybe add in one new variable, like stepping up to 100k from 50 miles, or if you decide to add in a new terrain challenge, like pick the variable that you want to focus on and add that, have that be the new thing. Don't make 20 new variables or don't make yourself have to encounter 10 or 20 new variables because it's it's going to be awfully hard then and so that would be my advice would be to like gradually add in new variables and you know work your way out in into the world that's probably your best uh, chance for sort of physical physical and psychological happiness out there I guess uh, sock and all trying to go in, in 350 time zone and try to climb the mountain may not be a best idea for some. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I know I myself have um, stuffed myself into situations where I literally um, added in way too many variables for me at that time. Sometimes I failed. Sometimes I floundered and made it through like really painfully. Um, it can go either direction, but those that's when it gets really, really tough is when you add in all these variables that you aren't familiar with. Gotcha. I think really great advice. I really need to look into going beyond my bubble zone, I guess, for for a distance running. So Megan, are you ready for Emron Sprint Round? Uh, yes, bring it. <laughs> bring it <on>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we try to go fast a year as, as, oh, much, okay. as much as possible. I'll try. What type of shoes do you wear for your for your adventure? Um, I wear all different types of shoes. The um, the shoe that's my favorite right now is the Montreal Bahada 2. And I just learned that Montreal stopped making the Bahada 2 this year, but I learned that they're going to introduce the Montreal Bahada 3 this, this year. So I'm pretty excited about that. That's great. I've been trying some Montreal shoes as well. What type of GPS device do you use? Huh. Um, I don't really use uh, much GPS. I was recently given a hand-me-down Sunto... Uh, Ambit 3, which I've been using to track my vert. Um, but yeah, techno nerds out there might hate me, but I'm not too big on GPSs. Yeah, you just go go out and run. I think that's that's what you said earlier. So I guess you're kind of true to it and it doesn't matter. You, do you run in the uh, time or feel or how do, how do you usually do your running? Yeah, I usually, um, I mean, I know that the length of most of my, my traditional routes. And so I, I know when I'm going out about how far I'm going and how long it's going to take me. Um, so, and then I, I run by feel. I've been trail, I've been trail running and road running so long that, um, I don't need a, need something to tell me what my heart rate is doing. I know what it's doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a, I, I'm a mile, mile junkie. So I keep up only with a mile and sometimes I had to keep up with the time because I had to get home a certain time with my family. So. <laughs> Miles in time for you. Yeah, definitely. So, what is your uh, favorite distance uh, race? Uh, you mentioned hundred miler. Uh, do you? What are? What is your? Or what are your? What is your favorite distance that you run? Like to race run? Um, I'd say fifty k's are a great racing distance because um, you need to motor pretty hard to do well in them. But you can also get most fifty k's done in a half a day or three quarters of a day. So you can, you know, sit around the finish line and eat and drink your favorite things with your favorite people afterwards too. <laughs> I'm, I'm more and more going down to 50k distance so I can, <laughs> so I can get to beer line quickly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Are you a downhill runner or uphill climber? Sounds like you're both. Um, I, yeah, I need to do both to do the types of races and 
move through the environments that I like to move through. But what I'm better at is um, long uphill climbs. I can maintain a, a decent pace for a long time on a long uphill. What's the upside of uh, climbing uphill? Is it uh, I, I can do a lot of uphill, downhill. I get scared a lot of times sometimes because it's a steep downhill, especially. Sure. Uh, uh, I don't like those. But, but is it trick to coming downhill? Honestly, I think with um, technical downhill running, practice indeed makes perfect. Like, you know, coordination is a, you're born with a certain amount of coordination and you can acquire more through practice. And, you know, brain, brain foot, that brain foot connection is, is desperately needed for good downhill running. So yeah, you just kind of gotta, gotta practice it and eventually it comes. So for the uphill climbing, uh, does it make you stronger as more uphill climb you do? Because I wanted to change my training a little bit to use some of the difficult course than the easy course I run, even on trail. So <laughs> that's the thing for 2017 for me. I was just kind of, <laughs> um, so it's kind of ask you, so since you climb a lot of hills, so. Um, yeah, but there's definitely, there's definitely different ways to tackle a hill like you can use hills if you're a trail runner you can kind of use hills in place of some of your speed workouts because you can you can jack your heart rate really high by climbing a short steep hill really hard um, and so if you're training for a race that has a lot of up and downs I would recommend um, doing some short hard uphill running and downhill running to help uh yeah, to help in the same way that you do a speed workout on, on flatter terrain. And then there's, you know, there's longer uphills and there's longer downhills where uh, efficiency and moderating your heart rate so that you can maintain the same pace at the top of the hill as you um, had at the bottom. Um, there's some, you know, there's just a little bit of practice you need to do to know at the bottom of the hill, okay, I can sustain this pace for for 30 minutes, for 40 minutes, for whatever it takes to get to the top. Yeah, I need to put more of the uphill climb, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, for many people, uphill climbing is really painful. Like, there's kind of no bones about it. Just like speed work is painful, but uh, it is a, a part of the challenge, right? That's correct. Um, and, <laughs> and and once once we get out of, like I was telling you earlier, comfort zone area, Once once I, that's what I learned. That there are hills and hills and hills. They're much bigger than what I'm used to climbing, so I better train up. I think it's an interesting dichotomy that we endurance runners face because the point of endurance is to to find the the zone of maximum efficiency. And often that's the place like right before things start to hurt. <laughs> but in order to be good at maintaining maximum efficiency, you, you do have to do hard things. So I think it's sort of like a dichotomous requirement of our sport that you have to go to put yourself in these painful places in order to put yourself in a comfortable place. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I rather, that's what I was telling my friends, that I rather put myself in uncomfortable places when I'm training <laughs> close to home than in the races. Yep, yep. So that's what I learned in 2016. That's my lesson. <laughs> I love it. Uh, do you use um, a bottle as a hand a handheld bottle, or do you use a backpack as your uh, hydration, to carry your hydrations? I almost exclusively use a backpack. I do have one little bottle that has a clip that I like tuck in a pair of shorts or tuck in a, a pair of tights. But if I'm carrying more water than I think that's like eight, eight or 10 ounces, if I'm carrying more water than that, I always carry a backpack. Um, I'm a fairly little person with a fairly little upper body. And um, for me, uh, carrying water bottles in my hands um, alters my, my gait too much. So 
if it's more than what I can tuck in the waist in my waistband, it goes on my back. Got you. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I, I cannot carry a backpack. I'm always carrying hand handheld, so I need to. That's the other thing I wanted to change as well. Do you follow any uh, training plan? Um. Yes and no. Um. So right now I'm in the in the midst of making my 2017 racing and adventure plans, and part of that has been to sort of create the the bigger picture build up. Uh, in terms of breaking breaking my year down to into a couple different training cycles and uh, developing peak training for my goal event, um, so I follow that on a global um, scale, like in terms of my global season, and then each week I define like a set of parameters that I want to achieve in my training that represents where I am in my training cycle. But in terms of what I do on a on a particular day, I stay fairly flexible. Um, my work sometimes requires that. Like I'm oftentimes working in a place where I'm working at a race and I don't know when that day I'm going to be able to run. Or if I stayed up late last night uh, working at a race, am I going to feel good today to run? Um, so I try to stay flexible uh, on a daily basis. And I, I move my long run or I move my uh, hard workout to a different day if I'm just not feeling it at a particular time. Definitely. I think that's always a great idea to stay flexible. I'm I'm always flexible, but <laughs> <laughs> as an ultra runner, uh, what type of nutrition plan do you follow? Um, so I try my best to follow, you know, what we what we know scientifically about the amounts of different types of sugars our body can absorb um, when we're running endurance paces. So I don't necessarily do it when I'm training because I think it's good to to train without fuel sometimes and to sort of teach your body to run efficiently without fuel. But um, during my key training times and then my racing, I always try to um, do two to 300 calories of um, a couple different uh, quick absorption sugars. And my body tends to like um, non-solid food products. So I do like those chewable, um, the chewable like gel chews and then the, the gel packets. Yeah, I like solid food on the races. Uh. I, I like it. I love it, actually, because there's that when you're out there for such a long time, there's that that very sating feeling of putting something in your belly. It just doesn't always like me. Sometimes it won't digest for me. <laughs> Between what digest versus what you like to eat is always difficult for ultra runners. Like a, sure, especially yep. especially going really far distance. Uh, what is your uh, favorite favorite race so far, um, or favorite place that you have covered so far? Ooh, that is a hard question. Any any one that you have, or <laughs> <laughs> so I have a couple favorite races. I've raced the Marathon de Saab, a stage race in Morocco, five times. Part of my reason for going back to that over and over was because uh, I loved being in the Sahara Desert and I loved the, the the intimate experience of traveling out there for a week with people. Um, so I love the Marathon de Saab. I love the Hard Rock 100, a race we've talked about a couple times um, for the mountains it runs through and for the just amazing community that surrounds it. Um, yeah, I've only run Mohamed Ahansal's Trans Atlas Marathon in the Atlas Mountains of Morocco one time. Uh, I hope someday I'll get to go back because I had a I had a great time there. 
Just to ask, uh, it was not part of my question, but I'll go ahead and ask the question about this marathon in, uh, in Morocco. Is it a marathon distance or, or they call it a marathon? Uh, you say marathon stage race. I know. It's the funniest name. So in Morocco, they have uh, these multi-day stage races that they call marathons, which I think is just so confusing. But so the Marathon de Saab and the Transatlas Marathon are two different races. One takes place in the Sahara Desert and one takes place in the Atlas Mountains, um, but they're both multi-day stage races. So you run over the course of seven days about 150 miles. Uh, it's just broken up sort of Tour de France style where each day has a starting line and a finish line and then you camp and then you do it, do the same thing the next day gotcha. until you get to the race's ultimate finish line. Gotcha. Megan, is there a race that you have not run or places you have not been that you love to go? Yes, um, I've yet to be to go to the South American continent. I'd love to go to several different regions in South America. Uh, I've seen, you know, photos on the web in magazines. I have heard about these great trail running communities. I'm eager to experience South American trail running. Um, I'm passionate about going somewhere in the Himalayas. I'd love to go to Nepal or Bhutan. Um, again, you know, stuff I've seen in pictures, stories I've uh, heard from friends. There are, you know, the, the passion and love of the outdoors of, of the people who live and run and hike around the Himalayas is pretty exciting to me. Yeah, crazy places like um, Tibetan Plateau and, you know, sort of those high altitude desert environments, those really stark places like the Gobi. I've never experienced anything like that. That would be awesome. Definitely. And you're always welcome to Nepal. That's my, <laughs> that's my home Thank country. <laughs> and if you ever decide to go, just let me know. Okay, I will. It is beautiful to uh, run, trek, hike around that region. Um, last couple of years ago, I trek around Everest region. And you don't find runners, but there's occasionally here and there you find. Before we conclude this interview, can you give us a word of advice to those beginner runners, trail runners, people like us who wants to go far from our bubble and try to see the world like you have done? I guess the one thing I'd say about the sport of trail running is that it's a sport for everybody. You don't really need special equipment and you don't really need some sort of like fantastic fitness or fantastic genetics to do it. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a little bit like road running in that aspect that all you need to do is put on some shoes and go out the door. And there's this amazing wonderland waiting for you uh where the where the road ends and where the trail starts so you don't need anything special to try it so um, my word of advice would be don't be afraid to go off the pavement and give it a shot that sounds like great advice megan <laughs> thanks for your time and uh and talking to Emron's podcast. Hopefully we can see you or catch you here in Alabama and run some of our trails. All right. Pinhody, here I come one of these years. Uh, I will have to let the race director, Todd <laughs> Henderson, know <laughs> that you're coming. Okay. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you, Suman. Thanks for listening to another episode of Emron's podcast. If you're an iTunes user, please rate, review, and subscribe to our channel. 